Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. been encouraged by this whole series of of the lost arts because it seems like we're in a time where just everything's more complicated than it has to be. Like, why is just everything so hard? Why can't anything, it just used to be like, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this, and it's like, none of that happens like it used to happen anymore. And one of the things I'm concerned about is that even our faith activity has become complicated. It's like, do we go in person or do we go online? Like, do we meet with people? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Is this okay? Is this not okay? Can we hug each other? Can we shake hands? Like, am I, what do I, it's just like, it's become confusing and it's hard to know where to start or what does faithfulness even look like? It's like, um, why you got to go make things so complicated? I see the way you're acting like somebody else and it gets me frustrated. (laughs) It's like this, Herman, and you fall and you crawl and you break and you take what you get. (laughs) Honesty and promise me I'm never going to find you faking. The prophetess Avril Lavigne, not hitting home with anybody else? Oh, come on. It's good stuff. But what she's talking about, she's calling out hypocrisy in the relationships. Why are you trying to pretend like you're somebody else when you're with everybody else? Why is there a place that, like, when you're here with me and we're hanging out one-on-one, I like you. When you get around other people, you're a sellout and you are faking all of these other things, pretending to be something that you're not. And one of the concerns I have about Christianity is, like, there's a big opportunity to think that our faithfulness is about a lot of the things that we do and the activities that we're expected to participate in. But it's not about that. It's not, to, it's not supposed to be like, I live this way in front of church people on Sundays or with my house church people. It's like being a Christian is a life to live every second of every day of every year. It's one continuous journey. It's one life to participate in from, from beginning to end. And it's easy to kind of fall into this kind of thinking. It's like, oh, but I'm supposed to go to church. I'm not supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to serve in the church. Oh, I've got to listen to the podcast if I miss church. And I, oh, I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to read my Bible. And oh, I'm supposed to serve in the community and and help other people. I'm supposed to go to a house church. Oh, I'm supposed to share my faith. I'm supposed to give generously. I'm supposed to be a good example. I'm supposed to teach my kids. I'm supposed to be a good spouse. I'm supposed to go on a mission trip. I'm supposed to invite people to come to church. Oh, and if I'm really good, like I'm listening to Jesus music and not that other trash. I'm supposed to eat a Chick Fil A. Supposed to make a difference in the world. Like sometimes it's just like. It's a lot, right? Like we wake up, there's this pressure. It's like there's all of these things as a Christian that I'm supposed to be doing. But here's the the problem is that like being a Christian isn't doing, being a Christian is being. It's something that we're invited to. It's an existence that we can become. And one of the things I love about our lost arts is that we're just seeing that maybe it's actually not as complicated as it seems like it has become based on what other people think about faith. And so it's an invitation into a whole existence. It's a life to live. It's a a person for you to become and for, for me to become. It's also a place 
to belong. It's also a purpose to aspire after. It's even a calling to be fulfilled. And so it's this journey in a forward direction that envelops all of those things. And this, there's so many different ways that just trying to pray about like, I was trying to get Chris to just, could you just tell me what art to talk about? So I don't have, he's like, no, just whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Like, ah, uh, so many. Um, but where I landed was, I want to just talk this morning about the art of discipleship. So the things that I think are lost in church is just the simplicity of something called discipleship. And to set this up, I just wanna take us to the end of Jesus's time on earth before um, we're gonna actually go back to kind of the beginning of Jesus's ministry, but I wanna kind of frame it with the end. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, so he's already done the cross, he's already rose from the dead, he's already been with his disciples for a good period of time on the other side of that, giving them their marching orders for what life looks like with him and with the equipping and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And he's about to go back into heaven. And we see this in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. We have it up on a slide. And sorry, these aren't going to, like, the words don't look as awesome as I thought they might on the slide. So just bear with me. But it's Matthew 28. Um, and it says this, um, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I just, I highlighted that word disciples there because like remember all those things that I said are expected of us as good Christian people in this world. Like Jesus didn't give the same list. This is his last like, hey, here's the vision and the purpose and the, the ongoing mission of, of the church. This is what I expect of my people. And it's this, go and make disciples of all nations. That includes baptizing them. It involves teaching them and observing all the things that I have commanded and taught. And then I am with you in that endeavor. So this idea of discipleship, like with Jesus's last words on the planet here, that is what he chose to commission us with is to become, to make disciples. Well, here's the reality of that. You can't make disciples unless you already are a disciple. So being disciples who make disciples is kind of the point of all of this. And I think it's easy for us to get bogged down in a lot of activity and it pulls us away actually from the heart of what Jesus wanted to say. And this is just what a disciple is. There's a definition here we'll share. It's a disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice, or a student. And I mean, you wanna talk about uncomplicated? It's that. What is a follower, what is a, a disciple of Jesus? Well, somebody who learns, somebody who follows, somebody who's an apprentice, somebody who's a student. So it's just this position of continuing to learn. Continue. That's why we do this. That's why we get together. That's why we open up the Bible and teach because we're all learning together from this book that has truth that just never gets old and never runs out of wisdom and never runs out of help and never runs out of ways to help us understand who Jesus is and what that means for us and salvation. And so there's a call of Jesus's people to fill the earth with disciples, just people following and learning from Jesus and others who are following and learning. Isn't that an amazing idea? Like that's a lost art. Who's just saying, hey, I want to follow and learn from you. It's like, you're wrong. You're wrong because you're different than me. Who's following and learning? Who's just in this position of humility saying, I'm willing to go somewhere where I am not yet. 
I acknowledge that there's things that I don't know and I wanna know those things. I wanna put myself in a position of learning. When we were um, early in our ministry, Holly and I uh, accepted a job to go be youth pastors in a little town called Wimberley. And when we moved there, we couldn't find a place to live because we didn't have enough money to buy a house. We had a dog and there's no place to rent. And this older couple, a retired ministry couple, invited us to live with them. And they had a mother-in-law suite that they had built in the back of their, um, their house. And they lived on 13 acres. And it was like out in the beautiful hill country. And it was like, this is amazing. Do we have to, speaking of, do I ever have to leave? Like, this is amazing. They just let us lived there, but this couple was in their 80s, and um, he had been a past, full-time pastor here in Houston, and he'd also been full-time with Memorial Hermann as a chaplain, and so he had gone back and forth between those two jobs, and she was very much involved in church music, amazing musician, and here I was like 20 six years old, 24 years old, going, I don't know anything. And I know that I don't know anything, right? Like that was the beauty of that position in my life. And so I was trying to learn and I wanted to learn from him. And, and he, he pulled me in. He goes, hey, could you come in here for a second? He still had to study. Even in his 80s, he prepped for his Sunday school class. And his Sunday school class had 80 people in it. And he prepped and he continued to learn and continued to teach and continued to serve and continued to care about people. And, and he and I would talk and he goes, tell me about the next generation. Tell me about the students. What are their struggles? What are their hearts? What are their passions? He didn't tell It's always stuck with me. And I've, I, God just, that was a gift to me from God because I saw this example of a godly man in his 80s who very well understood, I'm never done. I never get to a position to where I go, look here, Sonny, let me tell you something about that. It's like, hey, I just wanna to continue to be useful in the kingdom of God, and I don't wanna be ignorant of the opportunities that exist for me to minister effectively. And these are our grandkids, and these are our great-grandkids, and we need to understand them better. He goes, and I just bought this book on postmodernism. I was wondering if we could talk about it together. This was back in the early 2000s when that was what everybody was talking about. It was just such a great example that the point in our faith is not to be busy with a lot of Christian activity to the detriment of learning ourselves and helping others around us learn and not to just pray a prayer. And this grieves me so much. It's like, when did you become a Christian? Well, at this one point in time, back in my history, I prayed a prayer to become a Christian. And it's like, what about since then? Like, how's the journey? Like, how's the every day? What's God done since then? And it's not just like, well, when the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. It's not like this point here waiting for this point there with a bunch of ambiguous days in between that mean nothing, which is heartbreaking to me because I feel like that's the reality of a lot of people who call themselves Christians. I prayed a prayer. I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. This is what I believe. But it's like, but is it who you are? Is it who you're learning? Are you becoming? Are you progressively following? Are you changing? Is there transformation that's occurring in our lives? The point is to be a devoted disciple of Jesus, making other disciples of Jesus who are devoted as well. And if we're not being devoted disciples of Jesus on a daily basis, then we're not gonna lead anybody else to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. We're just gonna teach them like, hey, there's a bunch of right and wrongs, a bunch of things you should do, shouldn't do, don't say that, do say this, vote this way, don't vote that way way, whatever, listen to this music, not, it's like, no, being a disciple is, is the goal. It's the point. And even in our church mission statement, if on our website, when you go to the about, this is what we say about Renaissance Church is that we exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life and all the earth. 
calling us back to that commission of Jesus. And so this is also just like, this is why we're here. This is the heart of being a church here in Richmond, Texas, near Rosenberg and Fort Bend County, is we want to be a catalyst for a movement of disciples in all of life, not just decisions that we make here and there, all of life in all of the earth. So the passage that got me onto this path is from earlier in Matthew chapter four. So if you wanna take a look at that in your Bible or on your Bible app, that'd be great. If you wanna turn to Matthew chapter four, I'd love for you to see it with your own eyes and something that you can look back at um, and just remember so that it kind of sparks a memory when you go back and read it at another time. Or if you don't have something with you, you can follow along on the screen. And we're gonna be in Matthew chapter four. And um, we're gonna start in verse 12. And it'd be a fun thing to like go back and just kind of spend some time in Matthew chapter one, chapter two, we're getting into Christmas time. Like that's the, the birth of Jesus story, the leading up to the birth of Jesus and the details of the birth of Jesus and his coming and his arrival on the planet. And then Matthew chapter three is mostly about John the Baptist. So it's this like, okay, he came. Then John the Baptist is out there telling people like he's come, he's here, like get ready, prepare the way. The Lord's about to rock everybody's world. Nothing's gonna be the same because he's here. And then... Matthew chapter four starts with the temptation of Jesus. So as before he goes public with who he is and his ministry, he spends this time just proving his faith, resisting the temptations of the devil. And then we pick it up here in verse 12. And it says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and he left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So a couple of important things that like we wouldn't really just pick up by a casual reading is that Jesus chose to headquarter his ministry in this place called Capernaum by the sea, which if you were gonna pick a headquarters for your ministry, ministry, you wouldn't choose there. Like there's no money there. There's no influence there. There's no prominence there. Like it doesn't make sense. The other people who were doing what Jesus was doing with this traveling rabbinic ministry would headquarter in Jerusalem because that was the center of the faith. So Jesus intentionally didn't go to Jerusalem. He intentionally went to Capernaum. Number one, it fulfills the prophecies predicted in Isaiah. Number two, he was making a statement like, I wanna be where the normal people are. I'm not trying to be some religious elitist and prove how cool and smart and intelligent and influential I am. I have, I'm gonna do this differently. We're gonna do this backwards from what's expected. So all of that is being woven in to even where Jesus was choosing to headquarter his ministry out of. And then it's, isn't that great? The people who live in a darkness have seen a great light. That's the prophecy. Why did he go there? Because this dark place needs light. So where do we go? To the dark places with the light of the world. Like that's the ministry model of Jesus. And from then on, he began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's like this big arrival, this announcement, like it's time, we're going for it, we're bringing light into the dark, repent, here comes the kingdom, it's all about to change. And then it doesn't go right into that though, we kind of get this little interlude here in verse 18, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Like, I don't know if you guys have spent any time watching the Chosen series, but like, I just can't, that's coming through my mind. Like, that is an amazing depiction of this scene if you wanna see something to just help take that a little bit deeper. Watch it on the Chosen. We're gonna come back to that. That's gonna be like, that's what we're gonna unpack for the rest of our time. But in the context, it goes on in verse 23. Now, after that, he called these first disciples. Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains. The demon possessed the, the epileptics, the paralytics, the, he healed them. I was spending way too much time in the gym. I was like elliptical, like the elliptics, like that's not that word. Epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And so between the announcement of Jesus's ministry and the beginning of it, we have this little interruption where it's like, oh, by the way, he picked up some fishermen along the way. He called these people to be his disciples. So he ends with calling us to make disciples of all nations. And then before he actually gets in to the full activity of his ministry, he's focusing on calling disciples. And so this is, I just want us to talk about kind of a few things that I see here in the calling of um, the fishermen, calling the disciples. So the first thing is that it's a call to discipleship. Now, this is kind of different and unique to Jesus because there was a lot of other rabbis in this day and time. Like you would pick a rabbi, just like we pick a podcast and we pick our favorite authors and we pick the music we like. Like it, it, it wasn't different then. They would pick a rabbi that they liked that made them want to learn from them. The people would choose who they wanted to follow and they would align themselves under a rabbi and then they would become disciples of that rabbi. So that language is not unique to Jesus. That's fun. Um, it wasn't unique to Jesus, but Jesus was doing it in a unique way. And this is one of the first things that we see. So these people didn't see Jesus and go, Rabbi, we want to learn under you. Jesus called to them. So Jesus picked his disciples. Jesus stopped what he was doing, noticed these people, and he came to them and he said, follow me. So discipleship is an invitation. Some would even say that it's a command. Follow me. They were just minding their own business at work trying to make some money, trying to provide for their family, doing this thing that they had done for, really year, for all these years. And Jesus shows up out of nowhere and literally just like, hey, follow me. What? Who would do that? Like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta wait till the end of my shift. <laughs> gotta like clean the nets. Gotta follow me. They were taking care of their business. And, and here's what I want us to see is that like our selfie, self-absorbed culture puts us in the middle of everything. And even in our faith, we can still just put ourselves in the center. I like this, I don't like this. That preacher I hate, this preacher I like. This song I like, this song I hate. It's all about me and my preference. There's still a potential to be very self-centered and self-absorbed in the way we participate in things of faith. We choose who we wanna sit under. What we see about Jesus is that Jesus is centering all of this on him. 
So the idea of discipleship is recognizing Jesus at the center, the teacher himself is calling. He's inviting us into a better reality than the one that rises and falls with our opinions or our good days or our bad days. The light in the darkness literally just walked into our reality and said, let me invite you into something different. I want to show you a better way. I want you to trust me more than you trust yourself. Being a disciple of Jesus is not just what you believe about Jesus. It's not just a prayer of salvation in our history. It's a life journey. If our faith is only this beginning and end with no life of discipleship in the middle, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a theologian and he said, he calls something that belief where it's just like, okay, we prayed a prayer. We're going to go to heaven. I'm going to live however I want because I know God's going to forgive me. And then I'm still going to get into heaven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace. The Bible says that's abusing grace. Like if you've met Jesus, if you followed him, but then you don't take seriously the idea of keeping him in the center Theologians say, well, you're abusing grace. Like that is a cheap version of Christianity that is not what Jesus is inviting his followers into. We're being called into an everyday forward journey of discipleship. We don't get a day off. We don't get to mess around and forget about Jesus and and go do what we want and call that faithfulness. That's rebellion. If we're able to do that, maybe we were never actually following him in the first place. Because discipleship is a call where we notice Jesus and go, you're the sinner. I'm reorienting my life around you in the sinner. I trust you. Here's the challenge. We're so into our lives and our, our life plans. I do leadership coaching and life coaching, right? My whole thing is like, what do you want to do? What do you feel like? You, what's important to you? And sometimes I get to meet with people of faith. Sometimes I, I don't. And when I, when I get to coach with people that don't have a faith belief, like it's just devastating to me watching them try to find some kind of purpose strong enough to center their life on that propels them through life's difficulties and obscurities. We don't have that. And there's this, this clearly there's something missing. So here's the, the challenge. Like, let's not be so into our own lives and our own plans that we ignore this invitation, that we pretend like there wasn't a time where what Jesus was calling us to was discipleship to come and follow me. And I'm wondering, like, how, how do you feel about your response to Jesus's invitation or command to follow me? Because I'm telling you, that is what's happened. Like right now, if you've never thought about that or considered it, we're reading and learning Jesus coming to you, you, in your chair, in your job, in your life, and saying, follow me. Are you willing to consider that? Are you willing to let him be the center? Have you responded to his call to follow him with every day of your life? Hebrews 3 kind of gives us a little bit more about this decision and how this can happen really, but like what can get in the way. And it says, watch out brothers and sisters so that there won't be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Sin will prevent us from responding to the invitation to follow Jesus, a hard heart, a selfish heart, Wounds, hurts, pains, distractions, selfishness. So many things in our heart. 
For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end and the reality that we had at the start. I just love the intention is that continuation, like not a dabbling in this faith thing here and there, but it's an all in for all of our life. That's what discipleship is in the end and the reality that we have to start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't be like those who reject God. Don't let distractions, don't let sin, don't let selfishness, don't let pride, don't let beliefs or preferences hinder you from seeing the opportunity to be putting Jesus at the center of everything. So today, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm inviting you to the party. Like it's time to live a life of discipleship. Let's go, let's go together, let's learn together, let's bring light together, let's learn, let's follow, let's study, let's see where God is going and let's trust him and let's reorient everything about him being the center of everything. So there's a call to discipleship. The next thing that I think we see is that there's a cost of discipleship. And I mentioned Bonhoeffer to you earlier. He's got a whole book on this. It's pretty intense. It's called The Cost of um, Discipleship. But I'm going to be honest to you, with you, right? Like, I'm not trying to just sell you like the magic of, you know, the Christian experience. It's like nothing else. The presence of God is like nothing else. You can't buy it. You can't find it anywhere else. There's just something about it that is unique. But responding to the call of discipleship does have cost. It's not easy. It's going to cost you, and it's going to cost you actually a lot. It may actually cost you everything. The reason for that, why would you do that? Why would you risk losing everything? Because Jesus is better than everything. If we have nothing and we have Jesus, we have everything. If we have everything, we don't have Jesus. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. There's this bold faith that we see in these early followers that is like, we read it so fast that we kind of ignore the weight. Follow me. They threw their nets down with no delay. And they followed him. They left their career. The next guys, the first guys that says they left their nets, the second guys, they left their boat and their dad. Why? Because Jesus is more than your job. He's more than your possessions. He's more than your family. And all of those things we can get backwards and follow them and dabble with Jesus, but that's not a disciple. A disciple is Jesus first, everything else can be a loss. Everything else. And you're like, that doesn't sound very fun. It's not. But there's no other way to experience the fullness of God until you have allowed him to be what's bigger and better than everything. The reason that that sounds scary is because you're still holding on to your fears. You're still holding on to your doubts. You're still holding on to your selfish ambitions. It's not until you can respond with cost that we get to experience all that, that God is. And if it, it, along the way, the Bible's very honest. 
Jesus is not petty with his invitation to discipleship. Everywhere he goes, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Like, it's a universal invitation. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And the Bible's very honest in some circumstances about people that didn't. There's a guy in, in Matthew, or actually it's in Matthew, but it's also in Luke chapter nine, and Jesus says, follow me. And he said, hey, I gotta go bury my father. And Jesus goes, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go spread the news of the kingdom. It's like, that sounds kind of harsh. Let me go. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler, what do I need to do to be a disciple? Well, follow all the commandments. This I've done. Yeah, okay, here's what's missing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to walk away and see that God could be everything, that Jesus was enough. And these become idols. Our families become idols. We don't wanna serve God. We don't wanna leave our comfort. We think that this is the most important thing, but you know what? Family's not most important, Jesus is. Career is a wonderful opportunity and an opportunity to be faithful to a calling and a vocation that Jesus has called you to and equipped you for unless he calls you to something different. And then you can leave that without worry that that's a part of your identity because Jesus is better. Let me go say goodbye. Uh, Let's go. The opportunity is now. Like how many excuses do we make? Like these are hard ones, but most of the time it's not the hard ones that get in the way of our obedience. It's just like, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm lazy, or this would be better, or I want to watch this. I got another season of whatever to catch up on. Like, it, it, we just sacrifice, we, we compromise this. Being a disciple means just setting a new priority. Are you willing to put Jesus ahead of your family, your possessions, your priority, and your pride? And you may have to. Are you willing to? Do you trust him? Will you follow him like that? Tim Keller told an incredible story from a lady that he said, her name was Barbara Boyd. And I know you guys would think I'm like stuck in this space thing, and I am. But like, here's the thing. So he said, um, if the distance between the earth and the sun, we have a slide for this, right? So if the distance between the earth and the sun, it's 92 million miles. That's a long way was the thickness of a piece of paper. So like 92 million miles is the thickness of this piece of paper. The width of our galaxy, okay? The width of our galaxy would be a stack of papers. Let's go to the next slide. 300, oh, that's the galaxy. The width of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles tall. So like this compared to, you know, Wichita Falls. That's the distance. Like we look at the sun and it's like, oh, it's so big, 92 million miles. It's like the thickness of this piece of paper. 
Just our galaxy is 310 miles worth of paper. And that's just one galaxy of countless galaxies that God's created and is currently right now holding together with no problem or effort. Like the vastness of God is so incredibly huge. And if Jesus, who holds, this, this, Tim Keller said this changed his life. Our galaxy is less than a speck of dust in the part of the universe that we can see. And that part of the universe might just be a speck of dust compared to all of the universe. And if Jesus is the son of God who holds all of this together with his word, with his follow me, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? To serve you, to serve your agenda, to serve your life goals? Are we treating Jesus like our personal assistant or are we happy to be his? Are we happy to put him at the center, leading us, calling us, helping us, teaching us? In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The cost of discipleship is surrendering anything in the way of putting Jesus first. The life of a disciple is a life of surrender. It's a life of surrender. And I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about the craft of discipleship. Just the things, the components. What, how do we participate in discipleship practically? Well, we prioritize learning what God has said. Meditate, memorize the word. It means you don't live like when the culture goes, live your truth, you go, no, that's her heretical. I'll live God's truth. I don't get to live my truth. I put Jesus in the center and I live his truth. Don't get my truth. I'm not living your truth. I'm living the truth, which is also the way of the life. And I'm not gonna allow myself to be influenced by things other than putting him at the center. The followers were modeling this and they stumbled a lot. They made a lot of mistakes, so it's not about a call to perfection. It's a call to continually be learning, continually growing. Jesus had incredible grace for his disciples who made a million mistakes when they didn't have enough faith, when they messed up, when they weren't capable. It's not about that. It's just about putting him first and trusting him. And, and so the first thing that we do is we surrender to the word of God. And we put this on a big banner back there. It says, walk with God. You surrender to the word of God. You walk with God. You know the word. You live by the word. What Jesus said is more important than anything. I don't get to determine what that means. I get to read it and submit to it and surrender to Jesus's word, the follow me word. We surrender to the wealth of God. And I think this applies to our growing in community because the wealth of God has a lot more to do with resources and money because part of what God has provided on this earth, maybe the most important thing he's provided on this earth is relationships. So we're supposed to surrender to the wealth of God. We're supposed to yield to other disciples. We're supposed to measure, we're supposed to compare truth to align ourselves together to help each other grow. We believe that we're better together. We believe that iron sharpens iron. We believe that accountability is essential and necessary. You can't be a disciple by yourself. 
You can't trust yourself. Nobody can. We grow in community. We don't grow individually. We can. We learn. We study. We meditate. But the way that we really grow is trusting each other. That's why we invite you to house church. God's wealth means trusting his provision and engaging with his people and submitting to authority and other disciples. You can't do it by yourself. Put yourself with people who will help you grow. You want to be a better disciple? Find somebody that you know is a serious disciple and just let it get on you. Get close. Like my friend Odom, my 80-year-old friend. Like I just, I was better by just sticking with him. Find somebody living that way and grow together. The, The last thing is surrender to the will of God, which we would say live on mission. Be open. Follow me. Where are we going? I'll show you later. When you wake up every day, Lord, lead me today. You know my plan. You know my agenda. I throw that out the window for whatever interruption you have for me. Pray for the divine interruption. Pray for the leading of the Lord to take you into a place that gives you an opportunity to shine the light, bring good news to a dark and hurting world, live with open hands and open hearts. So like just very simply surrender to the word of God, the wealth and the people and the resources and the provision of God and be open to where he's calling you. Say, yes, Lord, I trust you more than I trust myself. I'm in it. Show me where you want me to go. And then the last thing I just want to talk about is the culmination of discipleship. Like, where's all of this going? Like, what's the end of this? And I think the first thing is it's joy. This is where lasting, true joy that surpasses every other happiness is found. He never said it was going to be easy. And in fact, he said it's going to be really hard, but there's an easier way to live than this. But choosing an easy life without God is not a life of discipleship. Joy comes from trusting him, seeing him, centering on him. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. This is the irony. Like, I could not find a happy picture of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which for a a joy quote just seems really, like, disappointing. But it's like, bro, like, tell it to your face. But only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy. What's bigger than being happy? Being filled with joy. Where does joy come from? Only through following Jesus as a disciple. So it gives us joy. It gives us acceptance. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story of the faithful servant and the answer to that was well done, good and faithful servant. We live for the well done when we're a disciple of Jesus. We look forward to the day. We're willing to risk everything for the well done. The well done here, we don't compromise any well done's out of boys here for the eternal well done, good and faithful servant. That's acceptance. Eternal security, Bible says that no one can snatch the disciples of Jesus out of his hand. You're with him and you're with him forever. And too many times I think that's the carrot we dangle. Become a Christian for all of eternity. And it's like, yeah, eternity in heaven is gonna be amazing. But life is supposed to be also. There's a joy waiting for us here. There's an experience waiting for us here that's not just reserved for heaven. And then there's just so much more. There's so much more that I can't even explain to you what you will experience until you've allowed yourself to respond to the call. And so I think for us this morning, it's like this is the art of discipleship. Jesus coming to you and going, follow me. It's not will you follow me. He's saying, follow me. 
are you willing with your life to respond in obedience, to leave the nets, leave the boat, leave the Father, if that's what's hindering you from going forward with God? Are you willing to just go forward? God came and invites us because he loves us. He wants that presence to be with us, to accompany us, to teach us, to help us. Are we committed to joining him in making disciples of all nations and bringing light into darkness and bringing clarity into the complicated situations? It's not very complicated, is it? Follow me, I'm in. And everything else takes care of itself. I feel like one of the reasons this has become a lost art is that our world just doesn't like to do anything hard anymore. I want it when I want it. I want it to be easy. And it's hard to make this decision. I'm just being honest. And it's going to cost you some things. What's wrong with family? Nothing. What's wrong with fishing nets? Nothing. What's wrong with taking care of your dying father? Nothing. What's wrong with being rich? Maybe nothing unless it's keeping you from being a disciple of Jesus. So whatever's in the way, put it aside and respond to the call. That's our opportunity and that's our, our invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.